this is Peter Levesque. Welcome to episode 18 of the Knowledge Exchange podcast. This podcast series is a product supported by the Canadian Council on Learning, Canada's leading organization committed to improving learning across Canada and in all walks of life. I want to thank the great staff at CCL for their efforts with this project to advance our understanding of effective knowledge exchange to improve the learning of Canadians. You can download this episode as well as one of two future episodes in the series from my website at www.knowledgemobilization.net from iTunes directly, just search for KM Podcast. Alternatively, go to knowledgeexchange.podomatic.com. Dr. Robert Perrin leads an exciting initiative at the University of Sherbrooke, the Knowledge Transfer Research Laboratory. His comments about second-order knowledge transfer should be considered very pertinent to those helping to create the conditions that will lead to sustained, trusting relationships necessary to ongoing learning and knowledge exchange. There's plenty that can be learned from sharing ideas across sectors and disciplines. Competitive advantage is not just something that is reserved for business. Becoming better at the core functions of any organization or institution should be everyone's concern, just as knowledge exchange is everyone's responsibility. There are great challenges, but there are also great rewards. Enjoy. I'm here with Dr. Robert Parra, and this is the first podcast that we're doing on the telephone. Uh, Robert, why don't you introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, thank you, Peter. As the, uh, my name is Robert Parra. I'm uh, with the University of Sherbrooke. I'm a professor of strategy at the University of Sherbrooke, and I also uh, am director of the Knowledge Transfer Research Laboratory here at the university that is made up of uh, five professors doing research on knowledge transfer, eight doctoral students doing research on knowledge transfer, two master's level students, and two research professionals who keep us honest at the, the laboratory. This series of interviews for uh, the Canadian Council on Learning is looking at knowledge exchange, at leadership, at lifelong learning, at policy decision making. And you had sent me some background material that touches on all of those pieces, except the way that you're looking at knowledge transfer, and in this case, the, the term that is used is knowledge exchange, seems to be a little bit different than a lot of people that I've talked about, and I thought that was really interesting. The way that CCL is looking at knowledge exchange, or the way they're describing it, is bringing people and evidence together to influence behavior. What does this mean to you? Is that a, an appropriate definition, and how would you extend, how does your work extend upon that definition? Our work generally uh, refers to knowledge, knowledge transfer rather than knowledge exchange, and our definition of knowledge transfer is a little broader, I would say, Peter, than the one you've just alluded to. Uh, we refer to knowledge transfer as the dynamic byproduct of interactions occurring between actors who are trying to understand, name, and act on reality, where I should uh, qualify that definition by saying that we are social constructionists, so we're coming at knowledge transfer from that perspective. And along the lines of CCL, I think that the CCL definition fits fine into ours, although ours is probably a little bit broader because of the nature of the work we're doing. We're working primarily with organizations and, and looking at how organizations can create competitive advantage. And by doing so, we have to look at the broad spectrum of what's involved in knowledge transfer because, or knowledge exchange, if you prefer, because competitive advantage really refers to two things, and uh, three things rather, three characteristics, and one is that an organization needs to have something that others don't have, they have to be able to do something that others can't do, or that they have to be able to do something better than, than others can do. So knowledge exchange is certainly one of those components that allows an organization to have 
a competitive advantage, but there are uh, broader perspectives of issues that we have to look at when we're talking about knowledge transfer. Okay, can you can you talk about some of those issues? Some of the knowledge transfer issues, sure. We're looking at, for example, uh, how do we in an organization generate new knowledge? How do successful organizations uh, who are really being uh, uh, being recognized as high performers? How do they keep up keep up to date on uh, new knowledge? How do they stay abreast of what's being developed? How do they make sure that they know what their competitors are doing in terms of knowledge transfer or in terms of knowledge generation? In the area of knowledge dissemination, it's the same thing. How do we make sure that we uh, are leading edge in the way we disseminate our knowledge? The third factor that we look at is how do uh, we make sure that we're leading edge in the way we absorb knowledge as an organization? What's been our track record of absorbing knowledge and changing the way we do things based on this new knowledge that's been generated and disseminated? And finally, the fourth dimension that we pay a lot of attention to, Peter, is the uh, the whole concept of being able to uh, adjust rapidly and readily. These are all things that, for an organization's competitive advantage, become extremely important. Well, that's actually really interesting. And one of the articles that you sent me on, on learning histories, I thought fits in very well with what Canadian Council on Learning is trying to do around lifelong learning. One of the pieces that comes up with regards to knowledge exchange is that it's one thing to know it's another thing to do, and the two don't always meet. How is your work supporting that process of going not just from the, that great divide of one thing to disseminate, but how do you move beyond knowing to doing? Well, we've identified four capacities that I've just stood to in my previous answer, Peter. The, the, the capacities that are required for knowledge transfer to take place are the capacity to generate new knowledge, to disseminate new knowledge, to absorb new knowledge, and to uh, adapt to those uh, the, the, that resulting new knowledge. Now, what we've what we've found uh, in dealing with most of our research clients is that uh, the by far the the toughest capacity for organizations to implement and to deal with and to develop is the one you're mentioning, Peter, which is the absorptive capacity. How do organizations uh, actually change? And for that uh, capacity, we've referred to a lot of the literature on change management. And we've also, uh, I'd like to suggest one article to you by Cohen and Leventhal, who talked about the absorptive capacity of organizations. Can you give some practical examples of places that are doing this? One of the, the things that, that's come up in conversations is, you know, who's doing this well? I mean, there's a, an awful lot of conversation going on about knowledge transfer, about knowledge exchange, about knowledge mobilization, about knowledge management, but who's doing it well? Excellent question, and I'm not sure I have an excellent answer for you, Peter. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of light is being shed on the concept of knowledge transfer. I would, I'm not prepared to tell you that a lot of organizations are spending a lot of times, a lot of time awake thinking about how do I transfer knowledge better or how do I exchange knowledge better. However, some organizations are doing some exceptional work. I am thinking, for example, of uh, organizations like Toyota, who have a whole section devoted to how uh, knowledge transfer, knowledge management in general takes place. Another one is Buckman Labs, who has a lot of 
uh, success in doing knowledge transfer activities. Here in Canada, some of the groups that are doing pretty well in managing knowledge, uh, I would refer to IBM and specifically here in Bromont, Quebec, that I would uh, consider a leader in, in knowledge transfer. They have um, a whole bunch of initiatives that look at how do they improve the way their employees keep abreast of what's going on. So what supports that? You know, use the example of, of, say, IBM. What is different within, say, that example in terms of either the incentives for behavior or management or the infrastructure to support that behavior? What, what's the key support to engaging in this? I would say that, uh, from my experience at least, that you have to have somewhere in the organization a champion who supports this and a champion who is recognized as an opinion leader. If you don't have an opinion leader who is saying that this is something that we should be looking at, then I think we're going to have an awful lot of difficulty in uh, even talking seriously about knowledge transfer. Let me give you an example. Uh, the World Bank in the United States uh, a few years ago became very, very creative and very devoted to knowledge transfer. They created the Department of Knowledge Transfer, and they were looking at capacity building in in different countries as a tool for knowledge transfer. And all of a sudden, the head of the World Bank left that organization, was replaced by Mr. Wolfowitz, uh, who uh, is not uh, a fervent admirer of knowledge transfer. And so that whole, almost that whole activity has now been uh, disseminated to the point where the World Bank does very little in the area of knowledge transfer. So I would say that the key ingredient is uh, an opinion leader who uh, committed to the, uh, the importance of knowledge transfer. Well, this points to the, the question of leadership then. What does, I mean, aside from being an opinion leader, what does leadership look like in, in this area? Uh, people who are constantly scanning the horizon to see what is coming. Leadership in this area is really, and I'm going to distinguish here between management and leadership. Management here, uh, management uh, from my definition in this context would be people who supervise an organization to make sure that they do things right. A leader in the same context from a knowledge transfer perspective is a type of person who is much more concerned with doing the right thing. In other words, making sure that uh, we're getting ready for what's coming down the highway in the next few months, in the next few years. So it's really someone who's focused on the future and focused on getting our organization ready for the future. Let me draw it back to the place that you work. You're at the University of Sherbrooke mm -hmm. in the Department of Management. Yes. Are you... Is your department a good knowledge transfer agency? I would say that we're not bad. I wouldn't qualify us as good. I would say that we're learning. We're struggling. Uh, we've recognized the importance. Our, our leader, our dean, has recognized the importance of knowledge transfer. We've created, in the past four years, knowledge transfer courses within, our, within three master's level programs. And I've just uh, been asked to include a, a knowledge transfer course in our MBA, which I think is going to be a first in Canada, uh, where uh, MBA students are going to be spending uh, 45 hours focusing in on knowledge transfer and how to do knowledge transfer in organizations. That's really interesting that you say that MBA students are going to be doing this. I just did an interview earlier today, 
and we were talking about knowledge brokers. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, who, you know, what are the characteristics of a good knowledge broker? Mm-hmm. And the person pointed to MBAs. Uh, what is it about management and about business administration that you know would lead people to be good knowledge transfer agents, good knowledge brokers? Well, in reality, uh, Peter, what we're trying to do with MBA students, at least at the University of Sherbrooke, is to create the kind of leadership skills that I mentioned to earlier. So we're trying to develop people who are really focused on the future, who are focused on understanding what's going to happen in the future and how to create an organization that can adjust to whatever those changes are going to be. I'm going to switch a little bit to some of the, the terminology that is used. And one of the, the big movements in, in healthcare and increasingly in education and in government is around evidence, evidence-based practice, evidence-based decision-making, evidence-informed. When you hear the word evidence, what does that mean to you? I've got to tell you that evidence for me has two dimensions. The first dimension, obviously, is the scientific dimension, which I think most of your experts that you're going to be interviewing are going to be talking about uh, uh, how do we how do we build good evidence. Being from a business school, however, I'm equally as concerned about evidence from the practice community. What does evidence in a practice community imply? And I think that I'd like to share a quote with you uh, that dates back to, believe it or not, 25 years ago, 1978, by Mr. Rhines, in which he said there's a crisis in the field of organizational science. The principal system of this crisis is that as our research methods and techniques have become more sophisticated, they have also become increasingly less useful for solving the practical problems that members of organizations face. And so when we're talking about evidence, the two dimensions that I that I alluded to are evidence that is appropriate to the scientific community, and the second is evidence that is appropriate for the practice community. And I think therein lies, Peter, the biggest challenge that we as a, as a country uh, face in the area of knowledge transfer. I think we have to figure out a way to get our scientists to talk to our practitioners and to get our practitioners to talk to our scientists so that, in fact, the knowledge that is being generated is going to be uh, responsive to someone's needs somewhere. Fundamentally, responding to needs is where value gets created. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in that exchange process or that dialogue process. When you think about how to get the scientific community and the pra- various practice communities together, what are the most appropriate or where, what have you seen as to be some of the emerging or, or more effective methods? What I'm finding is that if, uh, if we're looking at the way uh, scientists think, they really think completely differently. They, they live in different worlds from the practitioners. For example, for researchers, the speed requirements of practitioners are often seen as unrealistic and totally exaggerated, whereas for practitioners, the quality requirements for scientific rigor appear exaggerated to those with a need for clear and immediate response to pressing issues. Uh, Researchers see knowledge transfer as someone else's responsibility, not necessarily their responsibility, whereas practitioners do view knowledge transfer from what what our research is revealing as uh, both a practitioner responsibility and a research responsibility. In fact, we think that knowledge transfer is everyone's responsibility, both the researcher 
and the, uh, the practitioner. In practical terms, what can be done, what I think can be done to rapprocher, to, to get the two groups to work a little bit better and, and more closely and more effectively is to, first off, encourage a climate of trust and collaboration, to accept diversity between researchers, practitioners, and organizations, build collaborative work teams, to encourage co-production of research uh, with practitioners and not just see practitioners as people uh, that we go to to, uh, to study, but really involve them in the research process. Encourage strong multidiscipline networks between researchers and practitioners. Uh, support communities of practice. Foster a culture of continuous learning and exchange. Those are some of the issues that we ought to be looking at, I think, in order to bring those two diametrically opposed groups together.